0: Thank you for listening to the podcast from The House, a local church in Rock Island, Illinois. For more information, check out www.thehouseqc.com. Man, I'm just going to start off by saying that uh, I'm emotional. We got done with uh, leading the songs, worship, and Rob, he turned up the, uh, the iPod, and there's a song by Hillsong. Says, come now. Leave your inhibitions at the door. Are you ready? Are you ready? So come. As that song was playing, it's the kind of song like Hillsong just does like almost no one else. They know how to build and build and build and start out with something so simple that by the end, like, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is. And and I, I was just sitting here, like, I'm just listening to an announcement. That has nothing to do with the song I was that, that had been on, and I'm, um, I'm getting emotional. And so, I want you to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do today. Like, I don't know if there's something He wants me to say that, that isn't in my notes. Honest to God, even as I got up this morning, I have a whole sermon written, but I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do that last part. I don't know if I'm going to say something different, or if I'm going to do exactly what what is written on the page, but... Just so, even this morning, I already felt like um, like there might be other words that God wants wants to be heard today. And so, we're in this series called Table Living, and the story that we're using right now for these first two weeks is is the Prodigal Son. And we existed as a church, we say to to invite people in, to call prodigals home, to adopt the spiritually. Homeless, And so this story, this imagery is is deep inside the DNA of who we are as a church. So he kicked us off with telling us why this son came home and what happens when that young son came home. And I think that if we believe in Jesus, if anybody in this room believes in Jesus, that there's this list of things that when you came to Jesus or when Jesus found you, However you word that in your own life, and your own relationship with Jesus, there was probably a long list of things that you had to take out of your pockets and put, put onto the table. You know, like I usually have my phone in my pocket, I have my wallet in my pocket. Lately I've been carrying around some anointing oil in my pocket. Like, I've got a microphone in my pocket, I'll leave that in there for now. But if we believe in Jesus, there's meant to be this long list of of things that we've taken off, we've taken out and we've put out on the table and kind of said that, you know, this is yours now. This this is all yours. This is none of this is is mine anymore. Maybe that's maybe that wasn't something physical, maybe it wasn't something like like money or or possessions, maybe it was opinions. But ultimately what it's meant to be is the lordship of our own lives. We're supposed to take kind of the steering wheel that we've been having, and we're supposed to go, okay, well, I'll even put how I'm directing my own life, how I choose to do things, I'll even put those things out on the table with you. We're meant to put everything on the table. You've heard me say this for years, if you've been here for years, and if you've heard me, if you're here for the first time, you'll hear me say it again if you ever come back. We are meant to put everything on the table. And no matter how far we have gone, I think one thing that the Pastor Chris really nailed really well last week. So no matter how far you've gone, there's always a place for you at the table. There's always a spot for you at that table. And this is what that younger son discovered. He had gone so far from the father, as far from the father as he could. But when he came home, home had been waiting for him. And that's the way the church is meant to be. That is what this table is meant to be. So no matter how far you think you have gone from home, that home is still waiting for you. So as is that, is that story moves on, as you read the story of the prodigal, you end up asking the question, you seeing, end up seeing another person in this story, and you end up going, well, what about the older brother? Because the older brother wasn't happy about what was going on. What about, so we have to say, what about the people that never left? If we exist as a church to call prodigals home, what about the people that never left? What did they do with the table? So first of all, let me just kick it off right here by saying, there's no such thing as someone that never left. Even Let me say, you might have been sitting in the seats of this church since day one, but there's no such thing as someone that's never left. Because we believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We believe that all have failed in some way, and so everybody, everybody has to come home. At some point, everybody has a story of having to come home. Jesus, when he tells this story and gives this imagery of an older brother that had never left home, what he's trying to communicate is about the Jews, about the Israelites, the idea that they had been the chosen, they were always the chosen, and that they were always there. But somehow, always being there, they had still lost sight of what the table meant. Even though God had been guiding them for millennia, they found out that they could live near the table and yet not come to the table. That's what we're talking about when we talk about those that never left. Sometimes we are someone that we never left, and yet we've checked out. We never left, but we've grown that resentment that keeps us from coming to the table. We never left, yet somehow no one knows that we're here. So today we can have Christians we can have Christians living in God's house following Jesus for years that wake up one day and realize that they live near the table but they won't come to the table. And that's what we're going to dig into today. So if you grab your Bibles, let's open up to Luke 15. Luke 15 in your Bibles. It's in what's called the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, so it's going to Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you see any of those books, you know you're kind of in the right neighborhood. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have them out on the bookshelf. You can grab one and take it with you today. Or uh, you can download a uh, uh, Bible app from any of the digital app stores. We're going to be in Luke 15, and we're going to start in verse 23. So will you guys uh, stand with me as we read the word today? It's something that we, uh, we like to do here at the house. Luke 15, starting in verse 23, says this. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let us pray. God of every tribe, of every tongue, every color, of every nation, we thank you for your word. Pray that today what you have for us to learn, that it would stick, that it would become a part of the framework of our faith, that our faith would become stronger, Jesus, that we would become more like you. Amen. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat. All right, so first of all, the correct response to a son or daughter coming home is celebration. Can I get an amen? The correct response to a son or daughter coming home is celebration. It's, it is meant to be a joyous occasion. The brother comes back from working and it says that he can hear From far off, as he's approaching, he can hear that something is different, that something is happening. The correct response to a son or daughter coming home is celebration, is dancing, is singing, is celebrating, is feasting. The younger son did not know What would happen when he decided to come home? If you hit reverse and read a little bit earlier, he says, I'll go home and I'll just beg my dad if I could just be a servant in your house. He was coming home looking for work. He didn't come looking for a fattened calf. He was looking for a job. He wasn't looking for a party. He was hoping for a meal. He wasn't expected to be clothed. He was just looking for a way not to die. And he wasn't expecting to be given so much life. But the Father, see, he doesn't welcome anyone home with work. You hear it? The Father does not welcome us home from our wanderings with work. Father welcomes us home with celebration. The Father welcomes us home with party. The Father welcomes us home with dancing and singing and feasting. See, but that's not what we expect. Because we treat God like He is one of us. And we know how we would respond. When someone had taken half of our inheritance, gone off, and wasted it on wild living, we treat God like he's one of us when God is just trying to get us to be more like him. See, with God, table living means that everyone benefits when we come to the table. With God, table living means that everyone benefits when we come to the table. There's a meal. What was the meal that, man, if someone tried to take it away from you, you'd be slapping their hand? Shout them out. Lasagna? Any meal. Any meal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rob, will you turn this down just a little bit? It's a little pitchy. Um, what else? Nacho cheese. Nacho cheese. You said burritos? I heard you earlier. Who else? McDonald's. Oh, okay, McDonald's. All right, who else? A meal, if someone tried to take it, you'd slap it away. Anyone else? Fried oh, fried potatoes. Fried potatoes. For me right now, I think in my life, I think it's Indian food. I definitely think it's Indian food. I was actually, uh, see, emotional. I was standing back there, and as I was thinking about it, I didn't think about a specific meal. I thought about how I had been, um, I'm sorry, man. I was traveling in India with my friends, and the first thing I thought of was sitting at a meal in a stranger's house that I had never met, that immediately welcomed us with honor and food and plates and sat us down. And I thought that the meal that I would not want taken away was the meal that I was getting to have with her because she's gone now. Meals, food. I've said for years that every every meal can be a memory. But what happens when God asks you to put that meal of yours, that meal of mine, on this table. And then the people that left us get to come back and feast on it. What happens when the thing that we don't want to let go of ends up getting eaten by someone that left us? What happens when the best thing we have gets eaten by the worst person we know. See, because with God, table living means that everyone benefits when they come back to this table. Because there's always enough. And that's what we struggle with, is believing that there is really always enough. But here's the truth about God, is that God doesn't run out. God doesn't run out of anything. Jesus says that the Father gave away half, half, and it was wasted. Like there's meant to be no mistake. It was wasted. It was gone. Unretrievable. And yet when the Son comes home, even though they had given away half, there's still enough. There's still a party. The the fattened calf is still killed. There's still celebration. Why? Because his son was dead and now is alive. And the appropriate response to his son or daughter coming home is celebration. And sometimes that celebration means that you have to be willing to put that meal you would slap a hand over out on the table. God can give more than you think he should and still have more to give. I'll say it again. God can give more than you think he should and still have more to give. So one, celebration is the correct Response two. Now, the word amen means so be it. So don't necessarily say amen to this one. Not everyone is happy when a party is thrown for someone that left home. Not everyone is happy when a son or a daughter comes home. It's unfortunate, but it is true. Not everybody is happy when someone comes back. Why? Because not everyone is happy when a party is thrown with their inheritance. So the older brother was angry that the father killed the fattened calf. Everything that was left would have been the older brother's inheritance. That's just kind of a reality of how that culture works. So when the father kills the fattened calf, what he's doing is killing his inheritance. He's taking one of the most valued things in that inheritance and he's killing it for somebody else. At least that's what it felt like. But that's not what is actually happening. Because this is this might be this might be pretty profound, ready? <laughs> Fat and calves are a renewable resource. Fattened calves are a renewable resource. You can birth another one, not you personally, but you can birth another one. You can feed it, grow it, nurture it, care for it, develop it. It's not as though, especially in the context of this family, a family that is meant to be understood of a, as a family of wealth and means that they could not have come across another fattened calf. One of our natural struggles is to trust God with what we think is ours. So let's go beyond that meal. What's the most valuable thing that you have? Just think about it. Is it money? Is it your 401K? Is it your retirement? Is it family? Is it career? Is it the house that you have? What do you have that you would be upset if God took and used on someone else? This is what's happening with the older brother. See, his, the older brother, he has plans for the future. He has plans for that fattened calf. See, he gives it away. He says, this brother of mine comes home and you kill the fattened calf but you wouldn't even give me a goat for me and my friends. He is telegraphing to the father what his plans had been for that fattened calf. He wanted to kill the fattened calf and have a party with his friends. And so he's telling the father, you wouldn't even give me a goat. I had plans for that, Dad. I had plans for that. You're taking something that is mine and changing my plan." kill that calf, I won't have one later. If you throw a party, I won't have that later. Give anything to that traitor son of yours, I won't have that later. I'm the one that stayed. What if I told you that no matter what you've lost, that there's more where that came from? <laughs> Our friend, um, he goes to this church and uh, so, so it's a good story. <laughs> and I won't use his name just because it can be awkward sometimes when you use someone's name. But I did ask him for permis- permission to tell his story. And I remember when he first started coming back and started thinking about God that that the way that I heard the story was that he, he was checking out of church or he went to the church, and the first sermon that he heard was about tithing and about giving. And it was like a huge turnoff, which is actually a... a That's a very common complaint amongst um, people that are trying to decide whether to come back to church or not or come to church for their first time. Oh, the church just wants my money. And so when someone comes back, like someone was telling me, oh, hey, I have a friend that's going to be here for the first time today. And I was thinking, here's the truth. I'm going to bring up money today in my head. And I was like, I was trying to decide whether to tell them that or not. (laughs) Like, hey, you might want to tell them I'm going to talk about money for a minute today. Um, Because there's that thing. And so he, he started coming back. We well, ended up started uh, coming here. And, man, it was probably a month ago, less than a month ago, he pulls me aside and he tells me this story about how he had he'd taken a little bit of time off. He, he lives a little bit further from here. And he was checking out a church again, trying to decide what to do. And, again, the first thing that he saw on the website, the uh, first sermon that was available was about tithing. But this time his response was different. This time his response wasn't of frustration or anger or there's no way I'm going to get that or go there. His response this time was, God, you must be really trying to tell me something. And so he pulled me aside and he said, hey, I got to tell you this story. So I started tithing. And I'm like, all right, okay. And and he goes, but that's not the story. I was like, all right, okay. He goes, so I started tithing and I was just like trusting God with it and Like, the next week, and he's probably going to tell me I'm telling part of the story wrong, but the next week, I get a letter in the mail from the IRS. And nobody wants to get a letter from the IRS. But he opens up this letter from the IRS, and in it is a check from the IRS. Because a number of years earlier, he had overpaid his taxes. And the IRS was just now getting around to pay him, paying him back for the money he had overpaid. And I was like, that's awesome. And he goes, that's even not just it. <laughs> and I was like, what? He goes, they gave me interest on the money that I had overpaid. And I go, no way. And he goes, guess what the interest rate was? 10%. And I turn to him and I go, are you telling me that the IRS tithed Back to you? <laughs> he goes, now, this is what it really is. The check that the IRS sent me for the money I overpaid with interest of 10% on it for that entire time period was the exact amount that I tithed this month. And he immediately goes, now, I know I'm not, not going to expect that every single month but there was this moment for him where he felt like God was winking at him, that he had trusted God, he had put something on the table, and he wasn't sure what was going to happen, and then it was kind of like God was just like, I got you. I can give more away than you think I should and still have more to give. If you trust me, I'll show you that you can trust me. You have to understand God's table is not a zero-sum game. zero-sum game, I've mentioned this before, is where if I get something, that you can't get something. zero-sum game with God would be that if I give it to God, then I can never have anything like that, or I can never have that back in any way. But God's table is not a zero-sum game. If you put your favorite meal on this table, I'm pretty sure that you'll still get a piece of it. Because we have this God in Jesus that has a tendency to multiply things that we give Him. He taught us. Give us today what? Our daily bread. We have a story of Him taking five loaves and two fishes, blessing it, breaking it, and what? Multiplying it. He sits at the table with His disciples on the night that He is betrayed. He takes a loaf, He breaks it, blesses it, breaks it, and we are meant to understand that that one loaf is enough for the entire world. See, because our God is not just into addition. Our God is into multiplication. In a miraculous way. Jesus is trying to teach us that there will always be Enough. Nothing that you need can be stolen or taken from you because God will always have what you need. If you will give him what you have, you will always have what you need. So here's the key, number three. To be a child of God is to know that everything is already yours. Amen. To be a child of God is to know that everything is already yours. If you don't know whose you are, then you won't know what is yours. If you don't know whose you are, then you will think a lot of stuff is yours that is not yours. But if you know whose you are, you will know that everything he has is already Yours. The older brother complains that the father hadn't even given him a goat and the father's response is profound. You have always been with me. He says to the Israelite people, you have always been with me. He says to us now, you have always been in my heart. He has always desired for all people to come to him. You have always been with me and he says all I have is yours. The younger brother comes home to be a slave and is made a son. The older son stayed home and made himself a slave. He was like an orphan surrounded by family. He was like a lost child on his own land. But table living isn't about table slaving. What you think you haven't been given, will keep you from receiving what is already yours. Because ultimately, what we're talking about here is trust. Trusting that if you are the older brother that never left, quotes, never left, that everything is already yours, if you will understand you've always been. Hmm. I got another story I want to tell. Last week after church, um, someone pulled me aside. This happens infrequently, meaning not very often. Someone pulls me aside, and they said, first they started, how are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm all right, yeah. And, this is the truth, that last month we didn't meet budget, and so that was weighing heavy on my mind still last Sunday. And he goes, I feel like the Lord has told me to give you something. He's like, the Lord's told me to give you everything in my wallet. It was $200. And I go, honest, like, man, I'm good, but the church? He goes, no, no. God told me to give it to you. And I told him, I said, I mean, I'm okay personally, like, he goes, No, I have to obey God, man. I have to obey God. So he and he goes and he goes, My 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 car's out there and it's close to empty and but I I can't I have to obey God. So I was like, Okay man, yeah, okay. So he hands me this two hundred dollars and I start praying immediately. And I'm thinking and I'm like, God, what why why did you just have him give this to me? What I wanted to do was to put it into the offering box, but he had told me, no, like God told me this is more personal than that. So I started thinking and praying about what to do with it. And then the Lord brought someone else to mind that I know almost never has extra money to do anything with. And so I caught up with them later that day. And I gave the money to them. I said, Someone gave this to me. Said that they needed to be obedient to God. And I've been praying all day about who to give it to or whether I was supposed to use it myself. And I felt like God just put it on my mind. You just almost never have just money just to spend. Why didn't I keep it? The same reason that they didn't keep it. Well, one, because I'm not beholden to money. All my money is on the table. Even money that someone else gives me. But ultimately, because I wanted to be obedient to God, just like they were obedient to God. Then I got another story. This is a couple months ago, a few months ago. Well, let's, let's back up. I can't remember exactly when it was. But we had a service dog that we were going to have for, for our son Liam. And we found out that it was a little too big, that uh, Liam was actually, it was making it harder because he was tripping on, on his leg a little bit. And so we were like, okay, maybe we're not going to be able to, to keep the dog. It was, we were, it was a trial phase. And then kind of there was a nail in the coffin, so to speak, where the dog was um, up on our fence looking into the other yard, and their dog came over and bit this dog on the face. And so I was like, man, this stinks. I can't believe this. And there I was like, man, they'll really never let us keep this dog now. And so the, the options were we take the dog to the vet here, and we pay, and they would eventually reimburse us. Or I could drive the dog back to Peoria, where the training center is, and just take the dog directly to to their veterinarian, and he would take care of it. So I was like, I'm just going to do that because I don't want to kind of deal with all the reimbursement stuff. That feels awkward. I'm just going to drive down there. And so I'm driving down to Peoria, which truthfully is triggering for me sometimes because my son spent months in Peoria in a hospital. So I've driven that road over and over and over again. So I'm driving down there. This dog was awesome, such a great dog. And we're driving and I have a huge blowout on my front left wheel. And it's like making this sound. And at first, I've never had a blowout before, even once. And so I was like, what in the world is that sound? And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And so I pull over, I look out, the tire is just like coming off the rim because it, is, it was, I should have gotten new tires sooner. Let's just say that. And so my car is not what you would call cherry, it is not what you would call a great car. So, but it gets me from point A to point B. And so I'm under the car in the back, trying to get the tire out. You're supposed to crank it down from the inside, but I'm cranking it up from the inside, and it starts going click, 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 and it won't go anywhere. So I am laying on the side of 74, or yeah, and laying on the side of 74, cars rushing past me. I'm underneath the backside of my car just trying to maneuver this donut just enough to get the little winch thing to go through the hole so that I can get it out. I find a little bottle of WD-40. I'm spraying everything with WD-40, trying to loosen it up. I'm yanking on it. I've got the the crowbar. I'm trying to get it down. I'm I'm praying. I'm like, Jesus, please take me now. Stop this. Just help me get this tire out. And I, it took 45 minutes on the side of the laying on my back underneath my car to get this tire out. I get it on, and it turns out now I can only drive 40 miles an hour the rest of the way to Peoria. And I just post on Facebook while it's happening. Guys, pray for me. Got a flat on the side of the road. Can't get my tire to come down. Just pray that, that it works out. So I go. Take care of stuff. I go into town. I get two new tires. I drop off the dog. I come home. Now, go to a couple months later. Cindy's car front tires are getting to the point where it's okay. She probably needs new one. One of them had a nail in it, and so I'm like, I'm going to take this in. I take it in, and uh, and they go, "Uh, we we really shouldn't just replace these front two. Your one of the back ones has a nail in it as well. And it's already been patched a couple times, and so we, we can't patch it again. And so I'm like, all right, I guess I'm getting four new tires. Again, I just post on Facebook, hey guys, just found out I'm getting four new tires instead of two. Say prayer for us. And about three minutes later, I get a phone call. Someone says, hey, um, I feel like the Lord wants me to pay for your tires. And I'm like, I, man, I don't know if I can let you do that. Like, that's, it's a lot, man. I don't think I can, that's, and he goes, listen, you remember when you got a flat on the side of the road? He says, the Lord told me to pay for your tires when that happened, and I didn't because I was working on my own house, and I thought I could use that money on the project that I was working on. He said, so when you posted this, I felt like the Lord was saying that he was giving me another opportunity to obey him. Somebody else paid for my tires. Things like that happen when you realize that nothing you have is yours. Things like that happen when you have opened your heart to become someone that is willing, not even just willing, but is actually giving God everything that you have. Because I believe that in this church, the kind of church that I want us to be, is if someone is going, well, I can't tithe and I can't give because I won't be able to pay that bill, the church should help you pay that bill. If you're $80 away from tithing because you're like, I can't pay that bill, Guess who has another $80 if you give that $80? The church. And why wouldn't the church help you? Isn't that what the church is meant to be? Aren't we supposed to, as a church, to understand that everything that we have is on this table? And when someone comes and is in need, that at this table, everyone benefits when someone comes to the table. That's what I want us to be. That's what God wants us to be, is a church that realizes that the things that I have aren't just meant for me. And if I know whose I am, then I know that everything is already mine. So there's no fear of letting go of something that I think that I need. And I hope that every single one of us over the course of the next year have a story to tell calling someone up and saying, "Hey, God just told me to buy that tire for you. Hey, God just told me to do this." Or, "Hey, Greg, I've been tithing to the church and I know that so and so in the church is actually having a hard time. Can we pay this bill for them?" And then I go, "Yeah, let's do it. Let's make that happen. Let's help each other because everything 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 belongs on the table." And that is table living. Amen? Let's pray. If you were impacted by this message and would like to contribute to the ministries of The House, a local church, please go to www.thehouseqc.com and click on Give.